0: chapter nine of the joyous adventures of aristide pujol by william john locke this LibriVox recording is in the public domain chapter nine the adventure of a st martin summer my good friend blessington who is a mighty man in the bordeaux wine trade happening one day to lament the irreparable loss of a deceased employee an admirable crichton of a myriad accomplishments and linguistic attainments whose functions it had been apparently to travel about between london bordeaux marseilles and algiers i immediately thought of a certain living and presumably unemployed paragon of my acquaintance i know the very man you're looking for said i who is he he's a kind of human firework said i and his name is aristide Pujol i sketched the man in my desire to do a good turn to aristide perhaps in exaggerated colour let me have a look at him said blessington he may be anywhere on the continent of europe said i how long can you give me to produce him a week not longer i'll do my best said i by good luck my telegram sent off about four o'clock found him at two one three bis rue he had just returned to paris after some mad dash for fortune he told me afterwards a wild and disastrous story of a russian grand duke a dancer and a gold-mine in the dolomites and had once more resumed the dreary conduct of the agence à pujol at Hotel du soleil de l'ecosse my summons being imperative he abandoned the agence of pujol as a cat jumps off a wall and leaving the guests of the hotel guideless to the indignation of Monsieur Bocardon, whom he had served this trick several times before paid his good landlady madame bidoux what he owed her took a third-class ticket to london bought lunatic that he was a ripe brie cheese a foot in diameter a present to myself which he carried in his hand most of the journey and turned up at my house at eight o'clock the next morning with absolutely empty pockets and the happiest and most fascinating smile that ever irradiated the face of man as a matter of fact, he burst his way past my scandalized valet into my bedroom and woke me up. "'Here I am, my dear friend, and here is something French you love that I have brought you,' and he thrust the brie cheese under my nose. gah ah, ah, said I. "'If you were awakened by a brie cheese an hour before your time, you would say the same.' Aristides sat at the foot of the bed and laughed till the tears ran down his beard as soon as it was decent i sent him into the city to interview Blessington. three hours afterward he returned more radiant than ever he threw himself into my arms before i could disentangle myself he kissed me on both cheeks and then he danced about the room me voici he said accredited representative of the great maison du laire et compagnie i have hundreds of pounds a year i go about i watch i control i see that the great british public can assuage its thirst with the pure juice of the grape and not with the dregs of a laboratory i test vintages i count barrels i enter them in books i smile at algerian wine-growers and say ha ha none of your petit piquette fra for me but good sound wine it is diplomacy it is as simple as kissing hands and i have a sustained income now i can be un bon bourgeois instead of a stray cat and all due to you mon cher ami i am grateful voyons if anyone ever says aristide pujol is ungrateful he is a liar you believe me say you believe me he looked at me earnestly i do old chap said i i had known aristide for some years and in all kinds of little ways he had continuously manifested his gratitude for the trifling service i had rendered him at our first meeting in delivering him out of the hands of the horrific madame Gugoss. that gratitude is the expectation of favours to come was in the case of aristide a cynical and inapplicable proposition And here, as this, as far as I can see, is the last of Aristide's adventures I have to relate, let me make an honest and considered statement. During the course of an interesting and fairly prosperous life, I have made many delightful bohemian, devil-may-care acquaintances, but among them all, Aristides stands as the one bright star who has never asked me to lend him money i have offered it times without number but he has refused i believe there is no man living to whom aristide is in debt in the depths of a man's changeling and feckless soul is a principle which has carried him untarnished through many a wild adventure if he ever accepted money money to the provencal peasant is the transcendental materialized and aristide save by the changeling theory was Provençal peasant bone and blood it was always for what he honestly thought was value received if he met a man who wanted to take a mule ride among the mountains of the moon aristide would at once have offered himself as guide The man would have paid him, but Aristide, by some quaint spiritual juggling, would have persuaded him that the ascent of Primrose Hill was equal to any lunar achievement, seeing that himself, Aristide Pujol, was keeper of the sun, moon, and seven stars, and the gift to that man of Aristide's dynamic personality would have been well worth anything that he would have found in the extinct volcano we know to be the moon the only thing i would suggest if you would allow me to do so said i is not to try to make the fortune of measures du lau accompany by some dazzling but devastating coup of your own he looked at me in his bright shrewd way you think at time i restrained my imagination exactly i will read the times and buy a family bible said aristide A week after he had taken up his work in the city, under my friend Blessington, I saw the delighted and prosperous man again. It was a Saturday, and he came to lunch at my house. "'Tiens,' said he, when he had recounted his success at the office, "'it is four years since I was in England.' "'Yes,' said I, with a jerk of memory. "'Time passes quickly. It is three years since I lost little Jean.' "'Who is little Jean?' I asked did i not tell you when i saw you last in paris no it is strange i have been thinking about him and my heart has been aching for him all the time you must hear it is most important he lit a cigar and began it was then that he told me the story of which i have already related in these chronicles how he was scouring france in a ramshackle automobile as the peripatetic vendor of a patent corn cure and found a babe of nine months lying abandoned in the middle of that silent road through the wilderness between salon and arles how instead of delivering it over to the authorities he adopted it and carried it about with him from town to town a motor accessory sometimes embarrassing but always divinely precious how an evil day came upon him at aix-en-provence when the wheezing automobile having uttered its last gasp he found his occupation gone how no longer being able to care for le petit jean he left him with a letter and half his fortune outside the door of a couple of english maid and ladies who staying in the same hotel had manifested great interest in the baby and himself and how in the dead of the night he had tramped away from aix en provence in the rain his pockets light and his heart as heavy as lead and i have never heard of my little jean again said aristide why didn't you write i asked i knew their names honeywood miss janet was the elder miss anne the younger but the name of the place they lived at i have never been able to remember it was near london they used to come up by train to matinees and afternoon concerts but what it is called mon dieu i have racked my brain for it Sacre mille tonnerre. he leaped to his feet in his unexpected startling way and pounced on her bradshaw's railway guide lying on my library table in the sill, pig triple ass that i am why did i not think of this before it is near london if i look through all the stations near london on every line i shall find it all right said i go ahead i lit a cigarette and took up a novel i had not read very far when a sudden uproar from the table caused me to turn around aristide danced and flourished the bradshaw over his head Chiselhurst oh mon ami now i am happy now i've found my little jean you will forgive me but i must go now and embrace him he held out his hand where are you off to i demanded the chiselhurst where else my dear fellow said i rising do you seriously suppose that these two english maiden ladies have taken on themselves the responsibility of that foreign brat's upbringing mon Dieu! said he taken aback for the moment hypothesis having entered his head then with a wide gesture he flung the preposterous idea to the winds of course they have hearts these englishwomen they have maternal instincts they have money he looked at bradshaw again then at his watch i have just time to catch a train au revoir mon vieux but i objected why don't you write it's the natural thing to do write bah! "'Did you ever hear of a Provencal writing when he could talk?' He tapped his lips, and in an instant, like a whirlwind, he passed from my ken. Aristide, on his arrival at Chislehurst, looked about the pleasant leafy place. It was a bright October afternoon, and the wooded hillside blazed in russet and gold, and decided it was the perfect environment for Miss Janet and Miss Anne, to say nothing of little Jean.' A neat red brick house with a trim garden in front of it looked just the kind of a house wherein Miss Janet and Miss Anne would live. He rang the bell. A parlour maid in spotless black and white, tutelary nymph of suburbia, the very parlour maid who would minister to Miss Janet and Miss Anne, opened the door. Miss Honeywood, he inquired. Not here, sir," said the parlour maid. "Where is she? I, I mean, where are they?" no one of that name lives here said the parlour-maid who does live here colonel brabazon and where do the two miss honeywoods live he asked with his engaging smile but english suburban parlour-maids are on their guard against smiles no matter how engaging she prepared to shut the door i don't know how can i find out you might inquire among the tradespeople thank you mademoiselle you are a most intelligent young the door shut in his face. Aristide frowned. She was a pretty parlour-maid, and Aristide didn't like to be so haughtily treated by a pretty woman. But his quest, being little Jean and not the eternal feminine, he took the maid's advice and made inquiries at the prim and respectable shops. "'Oh, yes,' said a comely young woman in a fragrant baker's and confectioner's. "'They were two ladies, weren't they? They lived at Hope Cottage. We used to supply them.' They left Chiselhurst two years ago." "'Sacre nom d'un chien!' said Aristide. "'Beg pardon?' asked the young woman. "'I am disappointed,' said Aristide. "'Where did they go to?' "'I'm sure I can't tell you.' "'Do you remember whether they had a baby?' "'They were maiden ladies,' said the young woman rebukingly. "'But any one can keep a baby without being its father or mother. I want to know what has become of the baby.' the young woman gazed through the window you'd better ask the policeman that's an idea said aristide and leaving her he caught up the passing constable the constable knew nothing of maiden ladies with a baby but he directed him to hope cottage he found a pretty half-timber house lying back from the road with a neat semicircular graveled path leading to a porch covered thick with virginia creeper Even more than the red-brick residence of Colonel Brabazon did it look, with its air of dainty comfort, the fitting abode of Miss Janet and Miss Anne. He rang the bell and interviewed another trim parlour-maid. More susceptible to smiles than the former, she summoned her master, a kindly middle-aged man, who came out into the porch. Yes, Honeywood was the name of the previous tenants, two ladies, he believed. He had never seen them and knew nothing about a child." Messrs. Tompkins and Briggs, the estate agents in the high street, could no doubt give him information. Aristide thanked him and made his way to Messrs. Tompkins and Briggs. A dreary, bespeckled youth in resentful charge of the office, his principals, it being Saturday afternoon, were golfing the happy hours away, professed blank ignorance of everything, Aristide fixed him with his glittering eye, and flickered his fingers and spoke richly. The youth, in a kind of mesmeric trance, took down a battered dog-eared book and turned over the pages. "'Ah, uh, Honeywood. Miss Beverly Stoke, uh, near St. Albans Hertz. That's it,' he said. Aristide made a note of the address. "'Is that all you can tell me?' "'Yes,' said the youth i thank you very much my young friend said aristide raising his hat and here is something to buy a smile with and leaving a sixpence on the table to shimmer before the youth's stupefied eyes aristide strutted out of the office you had much better have written said i when he came back and told me of his experiences the post office would have done all that for you you have no idea of business mon cher ami i a successful tea-broker of twenty-five years standing the impudence of the fellow if i had written to-day the letter would have reached chislehurst on monday morning it would be redirected and reach hertfordshire on tuesday i should not get any news till wednesday i go down to Beverly Stoke to-morrow and then i find at once miss janet and miss anne and my little John. THE SECRET OF BUSINESSMEN, AND I AM A BUSINESSMAN, THE ACCREDITED REPRESENTATIVE OF DU a Compagnie. NEVER FORGET THAT. THE SECRET OF BUSINESS IS NO DELAY. HE DARTED ACROSS THE ROOM TO BRADSHAW. FOR GOD'S SAKE, SAID I, PUT THAT NIGHTMARE OF PERPETUAL MOTION IN YOUR POCKET, AND GO MAD OVER IT IN THE PRIVACY OF YOUR OWN CHAMBER.' very good said he tucking the brain-compulsing volume under his arm i will put it on top of the times and the family bible and i will say Pa, now i am british now i am very respectable what else can i do rent a pew in a baptist chapel said i after a three-mile trudge from st albans aristide following directions found himself on a high road running through the middle of a straggy common decked here and there with great elms splendid in autumn bravery and populated chiefly by geese who when he halted in some perplexity for on each side beyond the green were indications of a human settlement advanced in waddling flocks towards him and signified their disapproval of his presence a sundified youth in a rainbow tie rode past on a bicycle aristide took off his hat the youth nearly fell off the bicycle but british doggedness saved him from disaster beverly stoke will you have the courtesy here bawled the youth with a circular twist of his head and eager to escape from a madman he rode on furiously. Aristide looked to left and right at the little houses beyond the green, some white and thatched and dilapidated, others horridly new and perky, but all poor and insignificant. As his eyes became accustomed to the scene, they were aware of human forms dotted sparsely about the common. He struck across and accosted one, an elderly woman, with a prayer-book. "'Miss Honeywood? A lady from London?' that house over there the third beyond the poplar and little jean a beautiful child about four years old Oh, that i don't know sir i live in wilmers end a good half mile from here aristide made for the third house past the poplar first there was a plank bridge across a grass-grown ditch then a tiny patch of garden then a humble whitewashed cottage with a small leaded casement window on each side of the front door unlike hope cottage it did not look at all the residence of miss janet and miss anne its appearance indeed was woebegone aristide however went up to the door as there was neither knocker nor bell he rapped with his knuckles the door opened and there poorly dressed in blouse and skirt stood miss anne she regarded him for a moment in a bewildered way then recognizing him drew back into the stone-flagged passage with a sharp cry you you mr pujol oui mademoiselle c'est moi it is i Pujol." she put her hands on her bosom it is rather a, a shock seeing you so unexpectedly will you come in she led the way into a tiny parlour very clean very simple, with its furniture of old oak and brass, and bade him sit. She looked a little older than when he had seen her at Aix-en-Provence. A few lines had marred the comely face, and there was here and there a touch of grey in the reddish hair. and though still buxom, she had grown thinner. Care had set its stamp upon her. "'Miss Honeywood,' said Aristide, "'it is on account of little Jean that I have come.' She turned on him swiftly not to take him away then he is here he jumped to his feet and wrung both her hands and kissed them to her great embarrassment ah mademoiselle i knew it i felt it when such an inspiration comes to a man it is le bon dieu who sends it he is here actually here in this house yes said miss anne "'Aristide threw out his arms. "'Let me see him. "'Ah, le chiepity! "'I have been yearning after him for three years. "'It was my heart that I ripped out of my body that night "'and laid at your threshold.' "'Hush!' said Miss Anne, with an interrupting gesture. "'You must not talk so loud. "'He is asleep in the next room. "'You must not wake him. "'He's very ill.' "'Ill? "'Dangerously ill?' "'I'm afraid so.' mon dieu said he sitting down again in the oak settle to aristide the emotion of the moment was absorbing overwhelming his attitude betokened deepest misery and dejection and i expected to see him full of joy and health it is not my fault monsieur pujol said miss anne he started but no how could it be you loved him when you first set eyes on him in aix en provence miss anne began to cry god knows said she what i should do without him the dear mite is all that is left to me all but there is your sister the dear miss janet miss anne's eyes were hidden in her handkerchief my poor sister died last year mr pujol i'm very sorry i did not know said aristide gently there was a short silence it was a great sorrow to you he said "'It was God's will,' said Anne. Then, after another pause, during which she dried her eyes, she strove to smile. Uh, "'Tell me about yourself. How do you come to be here?' Aristide replied in a hesitating way. He was in the presence of grief and sickness and trouble. The Provencal braggadocio dropped from him, and he became the simple and childish creature that he was. He accounted very truthfully, very convincingly, for his queer life for his abandonment of little Jean, for his silence, for his sudden and unexpected appearance. During the ingenuous Apologia Pro Vida Sua, Miss Anne regarded him with her honest candor. "'Janet and I both understood,' she said. Janet was gifted with a divine comprehension and pity. The landlady at the hotel, I remember, said some unkind things about you, but we didn't believe them.' we felt that you were a good man no one but a good man could have written that letter we cried over it and when she tried to poison our minds we said to each other what does it matter here god in his mercy has given us a child but mr pujol why didn't you take us into your confidence my dear miss anne said aristide we of the south do things impulsively by lightning flashes an idea comes suddenly we carry it out in two seconds we are not less human than the northerner who reflects two months that is almost what dear wise janet told me said miss anne then you know in your heart said aristide after a while that if i had not been only a football at the feet of fortune i should never have deserted little Jean. i do mr pujol my sister and i have been footballs too she added with a change of tone you tell me you saw our dear home at Chiselhurst. yes said aristide and you see this there is a difference what has happened asked aristide she told him the commonplace pathetic story their father had left them shares in the company of which he had been managing director for many years they had enjoyed a comfortable income Then the company had become bankrupt, and only a miserable ninety pounds a year had been saved from the wreckage. The cottage at Beverly Stoke belonging to them, it had been their mother's, they had migrated thither with their fallen fortunes and little Jean. And then Janet had died. She was delicate and unaccustomed to privation and discomfort, and the cottage had its disadvantages.' she Anne herself was as strong as a horse and had never been ill in her life but others were not quite so hardy however she smiled one has to make the best of things said aristide miss anne went on to talk of jean a miraculous infant of infinite graces and accomplishments up to now he had been the sturdiest and merriest fellow at nine months old he saw that life was a big joke said aristide how he used to laugh there's not much laugh left in him poor darling she sighed and she told how he had caught a chill which had gone to his lungs and how the night before last she thought she had lost him she sat up and listened will you excuse me for a moment she went out and presently returned standing at the doorway "'He is still asleep. Would you like to see him? Only,' she put her fingers to her lips, "'you must be very, very quiet.' He followed her into the next room and looked about him shyly, recognizing that it was Miss Anne's own bedroom, and there, lying in a little cot beside the big bed, he saw the sleeping child, his brown face flushed with fever. He had a curly shock of black hair and well-formed features. An old woolly lamb, nose to nose with him, shared his pillow. Aristide drew from his pocket a teddy-bear, and having asked Miss Anne's permission with a glance, laid it down gently on the coverlet. His eyes were wet when they returned to the parlour. So were Miss Anne's. The teddy-bear was proof of the simplicity of his faith in her. After a while, conscious of hunger, he rose to take leave. He must be getting back to St. Alban's but might he be permitted to come back later in the afternoon miss anne reddened it outraged her sense of hospitality to send a guest away from her house on a three-mile walk for food and, and yet mr pujol she said bravely i would ask you to stay to luncheon if i had anything to offer you but i am single-handed and with jean's illness i haven't given much thought to housekeeping the woman who does some of the rough work won't be back till six I hate to let you go all those miles. I'm so distressed. But, mademoiselle, said Aristide, you have some bread, you have water. It has been a banquet many a day to me, and this time it would be the most precious banquet of all. I can do little better than that, faltered Miss Anne. I have plenty of eggs, and there is bacon. Eggs? bacon cried aristide his bright eyes twinkling and his hands going in the familiar gesture that is superb tiens you shall not do the cooking you shall rest i will make you an omelette he kissed the tips of his fingers such an omelette as you have not eaten since you were in france and even there i doubt whether you have ever eaten an omelette like mine His soul, simmering with omelette, he darted towards the door. The kitchen, is it this way? But Mr. Pujol, Miss Anne laughed protestingly, who could be angry with the livid and impulsive creature? It is the room opposite Jean's, not so. She followed him into the clean little kitchen, half amused, half flustered. Already he had hooked off the top of the kitchen range. Ah, a good fire. And your frying pan? he dived into the scullery please don't be in such a hurry she pleaded you will have made the omelette before i have had time to lay the cloth and it will get cold besides i want to learn how to do it très bien said aristide laying down the frying-pan you shall see how it is made the omelette of the universe so he helped Miss Anne to lay the cloth on the gate-legged oak table in the parlor and to set it out with bread and butter and the end of a tinned tongue and a couple of bottles of stout. After which they went back to the little kitchen where in a kind of giggling awe she watched him shred the bacon and break the eggs with his thin, skilful fingers and perform his magic with the frying pan and turn out the great golden creation into the dish. Now, said he, pulling her, in his enthusiasm, to table while it is hot. Miss Anne laughed. She lost her head ever so little. The days had been drab and hopeless of late, and she was still young. So if she felt excited at this unhoped-for inrush of life and colour, who shall blame her? The light sparkled once more in her eyes, and the pink of her naturally florid complexion shone on her cheek as they sat down to table it is i who help it said aristide taste that he passed the plate and waited with the artist expectation for her approval <gasps> it's delicious it was indeed the perfection of omelette all its suave juiciness contained in film as fine as goldbeater's skin yes it's good he was delighted childlike at the success of his cookery His gaiety kept the careworn woman in rare laughter during the meal. She lost all consciousness that he was a strange man plunged down suddenly in the midst of her old maidish existence, and a strange man, too, who had once behaved in a most outrageous fashion. But that was ever the way of Aristide. The moment you yielded to his attraction, he made you feel that you had known him for years. His fascination possessed you miss anne said he smoking a cigarette at her urgent invitation is there a poor woman in beverly stoke with whom i could lodge she gasped you lodge in beverly stoke why yes said aristide as if it were the most natural thing in the world i am engaged in the city from ten to five every day i can't come here and go back to london every night and i can't stay a whole week without my little jean and i have my duty to jean i stand to him in the relation of a father i must help you to nurse him and make him better i must give him soup and apples and ice-cream and-you would kill the darling in five minutes interrupted miss anne he waved his forefinger in the air no no no. i have nursed the sick in my time my dear friend said he with a change of tone when did you go to bed last Oh, "'I don't know,' she answered, in some confusion. "'The district nurse has helped me, and the doctor has been very good. "'Jean has turned the corner now. "'Please don't worry, and as for your coming to live down here, it's absurd. "'Oh, of course, if you formally forbid me to do so, mademoiselle, "'and if you don't want to see me. "'How can you say such a thing like that? "'Haven't I shown you to-day that you are welcome?' dear miss anne said he forgive me but what is that great vast town of london to me who know nobody there here in this tiny spot is concentrated all i care for in the world why shouldn't i live in it you would be so dreadfully uncomfortable said miss anne weakly bah cried aristide you talk of discomfort to an old client of l'hôtel de la belle the hotel of the beautiful star where is that asked the innocent lady wherever you like said aristide your bed is dry leaves and your bed curtains, if you demand luxury are a hedge and your ceiling if you are fortunate is ornamented with stars she looked at him wide-eyed in great concern do you mean that you have ever been homeless he laughed i think i've been everything imaginable except married hush she said listen her keen ear had caught a child's cry it's jean i must go she hurried out aristide prepared to light another cigarette but a second before the application of the flaring match an idea struck him he blew out the match replaced the cigarette in his case and with a dexterity that revealed the professional of years ago began to clear the table He took the things noiselessly into the kitchen, shut the door, and, master of the kitchen and scullery, washed up. Then, the most carefree creature in the world, he stole down the stone passage into the wilderness of Beverly Stoke. An hour afterwards he knocked at the front door. Anne Honeywood admitted him, "'I have arranged with the good Mrs. Buttershaw. She lives a hundred yards down the road. I bring my baggage tomorrow evening.' Anne regarded him in a humorous, helpless way. I can't prevent you, she said, but I can give you a piece of advice. What is it? Don't wash up for Mrs. Buttershaw. So it came to pass that Aristide Pujol took up his residence at Beverly Stoke, trudging every morning three miles to catch his business train at St. Albans, and trudging back every evening three miles to Beverly Stoke every morning he ran into the cottage for a sight of little jean and every evening after a digestion racking meal prepared by mrs buttershaw he went to the cottage armed with toys and weird and injudicious food for little jean and demanded an account of the precious infant's doings during the day gradually jean recovered of his congestion being a sturdy urchin and to aristide's delight resumed the normal life of childhood Ma, je suis papa!» said Aristide. «He has got to speak French, and he had better begin at once. It is absurd that anyone born between Salon and Arles should not speak French in Provençal. We'll leave Provençal till later. Ma, je suis papa, Jean. C'est papa!» «I don't quite see how he can call you that, Mr. Pujol,» said Anne, with the suspicion of a flush on her cheek. «And why not?» Has the poor child any other papa in the whole wide world? And at four years old, not to have a father is heart-breaking. Do you want us to bring him to an orphan?" No. You shan't be an orphan, mon brave," he continued, bending over the child and putting his little hands against his bearded face. You couldn't bear such a calamity, could you? And so you will call me papa." "'Papa!" said Jean, with a grin there he has settled it said aristide ma je suis papa and you mademoiselle i am auntie anne she replied demurely saturday afternoons and sundays were aristide's days of delight he could devote himself entirely to jean the thrill of the weeks when he had paraded the child in the marketplaces of france while he sold his corn cure again ran through his veins the two rows of cottages separated by the common which was the whole of beverly stoke became too small a theatre for his parental pride he bewailed the loss of his automobile that had perished of senile decay at aix en provence if he only had it now he could exhibit jean to the astonished eyes of st albans watford nay london itself i wish i could take him to Dulau and company said he good heavens cried miss anne in alarm for aristide was capable of everything what in the world would you do with him there "'What would I do with him?' replied Aristide, picking the child up in his arms. The three were strolling on the common. but uh, I would use him to strike the staff of Doula and Company green with envy. Do you think the united efforts of the whole lot of them, from the good Mr. Blessington to the office-boy, could produce a hero like this? You are a hero, Jean, aren't you?' "'Yes, papa,' said Jean." He knows it, shouted Aristide, with a delighted gesture, which nearly cast Jean to the circumambient geese. Miss Anne, we have the most wonderful child in the universe. This, as far as Anne was concerned, was a proposition which for the past three years she had regarded as incontrovertible. She smiled at Aristide, who smiled at her, and Jean, seeing them happy, smiled largely at them both in a very short time aristide who could magically manufacture boats and cocks and pigs and giraffes out of bits of paper who could bark like a dog and quack like a goose who could turn himself into a horse or a bear at a minute's notice whose pockets were a perennial mine of infantile ecstasy established himself in jean's mind as a kind of tame necessary and beloved Being a loyal little soul, the child retained his affection for Auntie Anne, but he was swept off his little feet by his mirific parent. The time came when, if he was not dressed in his tiny woolen jersey and knee-breeches, and had not his nose glued against the parlour window, in readiness to scramble to the front door for Aristide's morning kiss, he would have thought that chaos had come again and anne humouring the child hastened to get him washed and dressed in time until at last so greatly was she affected by his obsession she got into the foolish habit of watching the clock and saying to herself in another minute he will be here or he is a minute late what can have happened to him so aristide in his childlike way found remarkable happiness in beverly stoke a very wet summer had been followed by a dry and mellow autumn Aristide waxed enthusiastic over the English climate and rejoiced in the mild country air. He was also happy under my friend Blessington, who spoke of him to me in glowing terms. At the back of all Aristides' eccentricities was the Provencal peasant's shrewdness. He realized that for the first time in his life he had taken up a sound and serious avocation. Also, he was no longer irresponsible. He had found little Jean jean's future was in his hands jean was to be an architect god knows why but aristide settled it definitely off-hand he would have to be educated and my dear friend said he when we were discussing jean and for months i heard nothing but jean 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 so that i loathed the brat until i met the brown-skinned black-eyed merry little wretch and fell like everybody else fatuously in love with him my dear friend said he an architect to be an architect that i mean him to be must have universal knowledge he must know the first word of the classic the last word of the modern he must be steeped in poetry his brain must vibrate with science he must be what you call in england a gentleman he must go to one of your great public schools eton winchester rugby harrow you see i know them all he must go to cambridge or oxford Ah, i tell you he is to be a big man i aristide Pujol did not pick him up on that deserted road in the arabia patria of provence between salon and Arles for nothing he was wrapped as i have told you in an old blanket and ma foi it smelt bad and i dressed him in my pyjamas and made a neapolitan cap for him out of one of my socks the bon dieu sent him and i shall arrange just as the bon dieu intended poor miss anne honeywood with her ninety pounds a year what can she do poof it is for me to look after the future little jean by means of such discourse he convinced miss anne that jean was predestined to greatness and that providence had appointed him aristide as the child's agent in advance very much bewildered by his riotous flow of language and very reluctant to sacrifice her woman's pride she agreed to allow him to contribute towards jean's upbringing dear miss anne said he it is my right it is jean's right you would love to put him on top of the pinnacle of fame would you not of course said miss anne eh bien we will work together you will give him what can be given by a beautiful and exquisite woman and i will do all that can be done by the accredited agent of du lau et compagnie wine-shippers of bordeaux so i repeat aristide was entirely happy his waking dreams were of the four-year-old child, the glad anticipation of the working day in Great Tower Street, E.C., was the evening welcome from the simple but capable gentlewoman, and the sense of home and intimacy in her little parlour no bigger than the never-entered and nerve-destroying salon of his parents at A. Morte, but smiling with the grace of old oak and faded chintz. At Aigues the Salon was a comfortless, tasteless convention, set apart for the celebrations of baptisms and marriages and deaths, a pride, and a terror, to the inhabitants. But here everything seemed to be as much a warm bit of Anne Honeywood as the tortoise-shell comb in her hair, and the square of Brussels lace that rose and fell on the bosom of her old evening frock. For you see, since she expected a visitor in the evenings, Anne had taken to dressing for her sketch of a dinner. For all her struggle with poverty, she had retained the charm that four years before had made her touch upon Jean seem a consecration to the impressionable man. And now that he entered more deeply into her life and thoughts, he found himself in fragrant places that were very strange to him he discovered too with some surprise that a man who has been at fierce grips with fortune all his life from ten to forty is ever so little tired in spirit and is glad to rest in the tranquillity of anne honeywood's presence his soul was singularly at peace he also wondered why anne honeywood seemed to grow younger and in her gentle fashion more laughter-loving every day The St. Martin's summer lasted to the beginning of December, and then it came to an end, and with it the idol of Aristide and Anne Honeywood. One Saturday afternoon, when the rain was falling dismally, she received him with an embarrassment she could scarcely conceal. The usual heightened color no longer gave youth to her cheek. An anxious frown knitted her candid brows, and there was no laughter in her eyes. He looked at her questioningly was anything the matter with Jean? But Jean answered the question for himself by running down the passage and springing like a puppy into Aristides' arms. Anne turned her face away, as if the sight pained her, and pleading a headache and the desire to lie down, she left the two together. Returning after a couple of hours with the tea-tray, she found them on the floor, breathlessly absorbed in the erection of card pagodas she bit her lip and swallowed a sob aristide jumped up and took the tray was not the headache better he was so grieved jean must be very quiet and drink up his milk quietly like a hero because auntie was suffering tea was a very subdued affair then anne carried off jean to bed refusing aristide's helpful ministrations it was his saturday and sunday joy to bathe jean amid a score of crawly tin insects which he had provided for the child's ablutionary entertainment and it formed the climax of jean's blissful day but this afternoon anne tore the twain asunder Aristide looked mournfully over the rain-swept common through the leaded panes and speculated on the enigma of woman. A man feeling ill would have been only too glad for somebody to do his work, but a woman, just because she was ill, declined assistance. Surely women were an intellect baffling sex. She came back having put Jean to bed. "'My dear friend,' she said, with a blurt of bravery, "'I have something very hard to say, but I must say it. You must go away from Beverly Stoke.' "'Ah!' cried Aristide. "'Is it I, then, that give you a headache?' "'It's not your fault,' she said gently. "'You have been everything that a loyal gentleman could be, and it's because you're a loyal gentleman that you must go.' ''I don't understand,'' said he, puzzled. ''I must go because I give you a headache, although it is not my fault.'' ''It's nothing to do with headaches,'' she explained. ''Don't you see? People around here are talking.'' ''About you and me?'' ''Yes,'' said Miss Anne faintly. "Saperlotte!" cried Aristide, with a fine flourish. ''Let them talk.'' ''Against Jean and myself?'' The reproach brought him to his feet. ''No!'' He said, No, sooner than they should talk, I would go out and strangle every one of them. But it is infamous. What do they say? How can I tell you? What would they say in your own country? Well, France is France, and England is England, and a little cackling village is the same all the world over. No, my dear friend, for you are my dear friend, you must go back to London for the sake of my good name and John's. But let us leave the cackling village there are geese on every common said anne nom de dieu muttered aristide walking about the tiny parlour nom de dieu de nom de dieu he stood in front of her and flung out his arms wide but without jean and you life will have no meaning for me i shall die i shall fade away i shall perish tell me dear miss anne what they are saying the miserable peasants with souls of mud but Anne could tell him no more. It had been hateful and degrading to tell him so much. She shivered through all her purity. After a barren discussion, she held out her hand, large and generous like herself. "'Good-bye,' she hesitated for the fraction of a second. "'Good-bye, Aristide. I promise you shall provide for Jean's future. I will bring him up to London now and then to see you.' we will find some way out of the difficulty but you see don't you that you must leave beverly stoke aristide went back to his comfortless lodgings aflame with bewilderment indignation and despair he fell upon mrs buttershaw a slatternly and sour-visaged woman and hurled at her a tornado of questions She responded with the glee of a hag, and Aristide learned the amazing fact that in the matter of sheer uncharitableness, unkindness, and foulness of thought, Beverly Stoke, with its population of three hundred hinds, could have brought down upon it the righteous indignation of Sodom, Gomorrah, Babylon, Paris, and London. For a fortnight or so, Anne Honeywood's life in the village had been that of a pariah dog and now you spoke of it yourself said mrs buttershaw her hands on her hips i'm glad i'm a respectable woman i am and go to church regularly and i don't want to be mixed up in such goings on and i never have held with foreigners anyway and the sooner you find other lodgings the better for the first and only time in his life words failed Aristide Pujol. He stood in front of the virtuous harridan, his lips working, his fingers convulsively clutching the air. you 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 naughty woman!' he gasped, and, sweeping her away from the doorway of his box of a sitting-room, he rushed up to his tinier bedroom and, in furious haste, packed his portmanteau. "'I would rather die than sleep another night beneath your slanderous roof,' he cried at the foot of the stairs here is more than your week's money he flung a couple of gold coins on the floor and dashed out into the darkness and the rain he hammered at anne honeywood's door she opened it in some alarm you but she stammered i have come said he dumping his portmanteau in the passage to take you and jean away from this abomination of a place it is a toffet reserved for those who are not good enough for hell in hell there is dignity que diable. here there is none i know what you have suffered i know how they insult you i know what they say you cannot stay one more night here pack up all your things pack up all jean's things i have my valise here i walk to st alban's and i come back for you in an automobile you lock up the door i tell the policeman to guard the cottage you come with me we take a train to london you and jean will stay at a hotel i will go to my good friend who saved me from madame gougat's and after that we will think that's just like you she said smiling in spite of her trouble you act first and think afterwards Unfortunately, I'm in the habit of doing the reverse. But it's I who am doing all the thinking for you, I have thought till my brain is red-hot.' He laughed in his luminous and excited way, and, seizing both her hands, kissed them one after the other. "'There,' said he, "'be ready by the time I return. Do not hesitate. Do not look back. Remember Lot's wife.' He flourished his hat and was gone like a flash into the heavy rain and darkness of the December evening. Anne cried after him, but he too, remembering Lot's wife, would not turn. He marched on buoyantly, heedless of the wet and the squirting mud from unseen puddles. It was an adventure such as he loved. It was a nightly errand, Parbleur. Was he not delivering a beautiful lady from the Dragon of Calumny? And in an automobile, too. His imagination fondled the idea. At a garage in St. Albans, he readily found a car for hire. He was all for driving it himself, that is how he had pictured the rescue, but the proprietor, a dull and unimaginative tradesman, declined firmly. It was a hireling who drove the car to Beverly Stoke, and, unhatted and uncloaked, admitted him, "'You are not ready.' "'My dear friend, how can I—you are not coming?' his hands dropped to his sides and his face was the incarnation of disappointment let us talk things over reasonably she urged opening the parlour door but i have brought the automobile he can wait for five minutes can't he he can wait till doomsday said aristide take off your dripping coat you must be wet through oh how impulsive you are he took off his overcoat dejectedly and followed her into the parlour where she tried to point out the impossibility of his scheme. How could she abandon her home at a moment's notice? Failing to convince him, she said at last in some embarrassment, but with gentle dignity, suppose we did run away together in your romantic fashion, would it not confirm the scandal in the eyes of this wretched village? You are right, said Aristide. I had not thought of it. He knew himself to be a madman it was not thus that ladies were rescued from calumny but to leave her alone to face it for time indefinite was unthinkable and meanwhile what would become of him severed from her and little jean he sighed and looked around the little room where he had been so happy and at the sweet-faced woman whose companionship had been so dear to him and then the true meaning of all the precious things that had been his life for the past two months appeared before him like a smiling valley hitherto hidden and now revealed by dissolving mist a great gladness gathered around his heart he leaned across the table by which he was sitting and looked at her and for the first time noticed that her eyes were red you have been crying dear anne said he using her name boldly why a man ought not to put a question like that at a woman's head and bid her stand and deliver how is she to answer anne felt aristide's bright eyes upon her and the colour mounted and mounted and deepened on her cheeks and brow i don't like changes she said in a low voice aristide slipped noiselessly to the side of her chair and knelt on one knee and took her hand anne my beloved anne said he and anne neither moved nor protested but looked away from him into the fire and that is all that aristide told me there are sacred and beautiful things in life that one man does not tell to another he did however mention that they forgot all about the unfortunate chauffeur sitting in the rain till about three hours afterwards when aristide sped away to a st alban's hotel in joyous solitude the very next day he burst in upon me in a state of bliss bordering on mania "'But there is a tragic side to it,' he said, when the story was over. "'For half the year I shall be exiled to Bordeaux, Marseilles, and Algiers, as the representative of Doula et Compagnie.' "'The very best thing that could happen for your domestic happiness,' said I. "'What, with my heart?' he thumped his heart. "'With my heart hurting like the devil all the time?' "'So long as your heart hurts,' said I, "'you know it isn't dead.' a short while afterwards they were married in london i was best man and jean spectlessly attired was page of honour and the vicar of her own church at chislehurst performed the ceremony the most myopic of creatures could have seen that anne was foolishly in love with her rascal husband how could she help it as soon as the newly-wedded pair had received the exhortation aristide darting to the altar rail caught jean up in his arms and to the consternation of the officiating clergy the verger and anne's conventional friends cried out exultingly ah mon petit it was a lucky day for both of us when i picked you up on the road between salon and arles put your hands together as you do when you're saying your prayers mon brave and say god bless father and mother jean obediently adopted the attitude of the infant samuel in the pictures god bless father and mother said he and the childish trouble rang out queerly in the large almost empty church there was a span of silence and then all the women-folk fell on little jean and that was the end of that wedding end of chapter nine end of the joyous adventures of aristide pujol by william john locke